Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushable. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of October 10, 2019. We first want to remind you that Soundprints is heard at new times on ACB Radio. On Sunday, you can hear us at 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern Time. On Monday, 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. On Wednesdays, 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. And 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. On Thursdays, 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. And Fridays, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Be sure to listen to Soundprints every week. Orbit Research has announced support for the new USB HID standard for Braille displays. The world's most affordable Braille display, the Orbit Reader 20, is the first refreshable Braille display to support the new standard. This announcement came to us just today, October 9, on the Internet. Orbit Research has announced it has introduced support for the newly released USB HID standard for Braille displays. It is the first developer and manufacturer of Braille displays to support the new standard, which eliminates the need for special software or drivers and enables plug-and-play operation between electronic Braille displays and devices, such as computers and smartphones. As an innovator and leader in the field of refreshable Braille, Orbit Research was instrumental in proposing the need in the industry for a common and open communication protocol between refreshable Braille displays and screen reading software. In collaboration with industry leaders, including Apple, Microsoft, and Google, Orbit Research and other companies jointly worked towards creating a USB standard that allows Braille displays to communicate with screen reader software on diverse operating systems and hardware platforms. This now minimizes and possibly even eliminates the need for each refreshable Braille display to be tested with each screen reader every time a new version of the software or firmware is released. Orbit Research today released a software update for its flagship refreshable Braille display, the Orbit Reader 20, making it the first Braille display in the world to support the new standard. The updated software for the Orbit Reader 20 can be downloaded from the Orbit Research website at orbitresearch.com. This has truly been a week filled with good news. On page 2, you'll meet Clark Rockville, who's never been on Soundprint since he came to work for ACB. Clark is the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs in our Alexandria office, and he first introduces himself and then tells us about how Hulu has expanded its accessibility features as part of the structured negotiation agreement between Hulu and the American Council of the Blind. On page 3, Clark shares more good news about the Domino's Pizza case that 
we feared would be heard by the Supreme Court and thus perhaps weaken the ADA. Clark will bring us up to speed on how the Supreme Court's decision this past week has strengthened Title III of the ADA and how it applies to web accessibility. Many of us are interested in eating more healthy foods and in losing weight. That is especially true of diabetics. On page 4, you will find part of an article that discusses the types of foods that are especially healthy for diabetics and also the amount of calories that should be consumed by women and men of various sizes. We will bring you additional parts of this article in future sound prints. And on page 5 is the sound prints calendar. Page 2 on the phone with me today is Clark Rockville. He's the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs with the American Council of the Blind, and he works out of our Alexandria, Virginia office. And he's visiting with us today because we have some very good news to share with all our listeners, and we just want to bring everybody up to date on a couple of couple of issues. But first of all, Clark, um, you've been with ACB for probably about eight or nine months now, and we've never had you on Soundprints. So I'd like to take this opportunity for you to introduce yourself to us first, and then we'll get into all of the good news we have for our listeners. Well, thank you, Carla. Good morning. And as you said, my name is Clark Rockfall, and I am the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. I started in this capacity in February of 2019, so eight months ago, uh, attempting to fill the very large shoes left by Tony Stevens. Mm -hmm. So prior to ACB, I spent two years on the public policy team for National Industries for the Blind. And prior to NIB, I got my start in Washington, D.C., uh, legislative affairs and public policy. Uh, for Verizon Communications, and I worked nine years on their federal legislative affairs team here in Washington, D.C. While I worked for Verizon, um, I also raced and competed domestically and internationally as a member of the U.S. Paralympic Tandem Cycling Team. Oh. I'm originally from Annapolis, Maryland, and I did my undergrad study at Towson University, is just north of Baltimore, still in Maryland, and have degrees in economics and political science. So thank you again for welcoming me to Soundprint. Well, you came to ACB right before the mid-year, before the legislative seminar last year, and just did a great job at that uh, seminar. You just jumped right in and, and, and did a super job, and so we're really glad you're you're with ACB and you're you're doing doing some fine work there. Let's talk about the good news. We have two items. You can pick which one you want to talk about first. But we we're going to discuss um, the announcement about Hulu that came out last Friday, and then hot on the heels on Monday came news about the Domino's case. So where should we begin? Um, you know, let's start with Hulu because that's been an issue that's been in the works for quite some time, um, thanks to some ACB members as well as our affiliates. Um, and this, of course, is dealing with uh, Hulu now audio describing 
Um, a lot of their original content and programming, which they announced earlier this year. And the announcement last week was that Hulu is doing more work to their applications and websites um, to make the user interfaces more accessible. Okay, so for the person listening out there, first of all, um, Hulu is, uh, explain to maybe some people who don't know what Hulu actually is. A lot of people, you know, I know for myself growing up, there were two ways to get TV. <laughs> you could either get it with, uh, you know, rabbit ears or an antenna on your house, and you had the over-the-air broadcast stations, um, and only what was in your local market, you know, if, as long as you were standing in the right spot of the room and touching one wall and standing on one foot while patting your head and rubbing your belly, you know, the station might come in. And then for other folks that didn't have over-the-air broadcast signals, they may have, you know, a local um, cable co-op or a local cable company that would have a big antenna, a big satellite dish relaying a signal, and then you had the coaxial cable, um, and you'd get the broadcast channels as well as local access channels and some national cable channels. Um, but nowadays, you've got over-the-air, you've got... Um, cable channels, you have satellite providers, and more and more we're seeing these streaming over-the-top providers. And these are um, companies that offer TV programming, but they offer it through the internet service. So separate from um, you know, a cable, um, separate from a satellite dish, it's the same, the same wire and the same connection that is used to deliver your internet and you access it online just like any other um, website or internet service, except now it's a video service. And the, the big key here is that with the 21st Century Communications Video Accessibility Act, the CVAA, that Eric Bridges and um, the other leaders in ACB worked on to pass in 2010, that did not cover over-the-top providers because this really wasn't a thing back then. Uh, but now you've got Netflix and HBO Go and um, Hulu and Amazon Prime and all these other streaming services that are really displacing um, cable and satellite. And ACB has been able to reach, work with and reach agreements with these streaming services such as Hulu um, for them to they basically apply the same standards of the CVAA to provide audio-described content to make their menus um, either more legible and easier to read, um, like Hulu is now doing, uh, but also to make their menus and user interfaces accessible to screen readers or text-to-speech software. Uh, so that way folks who you know, have trouble reading the menu or can't are blind and can't read the menu are still able to navigate and find the programming that they want to watch. Clark, I, I want to just interject a comment here. For so long, when we talk when we've talked about accessibility on TV, we've talked about things that talk and um, things that are described and so on. But we haven't always said a whole lot about 
the um, ease of reading the menu if you can see it. And what I found interesting in the press release last Friday that talked about the uh, things that Hulu, the additions, I guess, to what Hulu has been doing in the last few months, was that one of the one of the seemingly major things that they they had done was to make those menus more legible um, it, to people who are are looking at the menus, and they said this would be available system wide to everyone that they didn't have to request those changes and yeah. and I think that's you know pretty significant um, we have some low vision support groups here in Kentucky we've started a number of them in the last couple of years and you know the people that come to those aren't especially into the world of speech yet they are still trying to figure out how they can see their TV and how they can use their their TV. And so they're still trying to see it. And and uh, there's a huge number of those people out there. And I'm, it's really great that, that we're not only concerned with the accessibility of what speaks to me, you know, what, what will talk, but also the people with visual impairments. I fully agree. I think it's often the case that what starts out as um, a product or a service thought of only as an accessibility option um, for folks with disabilities um, often becomes just another part of universal design. You know, for some folks it may be um, a necessity to have text-to-speech or to have large print. And for other folks, it's, it's just really nice. It's really appreciated that they don't have to strain or squint, move closer to the TV, um, use a magnifier with a printed-out uh, TV listing, and, and then navigate to the program that they want based off of that. I, this is something that everyone will be able to use after a long day of work or school, and just relax without straining your eyes or straining to read the screen because now it's going to be um, higher contrast. It'll be greater um, character definition. And I don't know about Hulu, but several other um, software platforms, think about um, Android, um, Android OS and the iPhone uh, um, operating system, they've started to introduce um, higher contrast backgrounds, so mm -hmm. where you can have white characters on black text versus the bright white background with colored characters. Mm -hmm. So just little things like that that you know, in the, the low vision or the, the blindness communities you know, we've known about for decades, other folks are discovering these tools and just how much easier and more enjoyable they can make their services. Right. And talking about the CVAA and, and what changes it has brought um, doesn't affect, not it doesn't affect quite Hulu, but it, it probably will. But we just bought a TV and mm -hmm. brought the TV home, turned it on. We didn't go out and look for it. We didn't say, oh, now let's see what features are on this TV. We'd been talking about buying one for a long time. And my husband, Adam, just decided one day he's going to go out and buy one. 
so we did. And home he comes with this TV, and we um, we turn it on, and guess what? It, it talked. The menus talk. And uh, that wouldn't have happened before the CVAA. And uh, while we had to, you know, kind of figure out what was happening with that, and you have different settings on there and so on, but it still, um, compared to the little TV we had before that, the 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 one we had prior to that, um, we had to watch limit it to one or two channels because we couldn't change the channels and figure out where we were. And on this one, you can just it announces as you move from channel to channel and um, and announces what shows are on and so on. And I and I think those are direct outcomes of ACB's work with uh, CVAA. Even though that was ten years ago, we're seeing a lot of effects of that. Um, with uh, the when when they talk about Hulu being more effective with screen readers, um, will we see that they have more um, and also with more audio description? I'm assuming they will begin adding more audio description into their programming. Yeah, so they're uh, audio describing now um, a lot of their original programming, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm sure that they will add to their library and catalog um, the audio-described versions of other programming that's available. Um, And then with the accessible user interfaces or working with um, screen readers, because Hulu is a website or is an application, um, they don't have any hardware of of their own, but they can design the website and the application in a way that it works with third-party screen readers, so whether that's voiceover on an Apple TV um, or the, the text-to-speech on an Amazon Fire Stick, um, you know, talk back over Android operating systems and so on. So this will affect many, many, many people across many different platforms. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is it's really a... Um, Great, and we look forward to more announcements. I'm sure there will be more that are the outcome of this agreement. That was a, I think that was a, initially a structured negotiation agreement with Hulu, right? Yes. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. And ACB is very much um, into that kind of thing uh, because it's it's a positive for both uh, the the company or the entity that we're working with and for people with disabilities. And uh, this is a a good example of how things can be worked out at the table rather than in the courtroom. Exactly. And ACB is always looking for a way to, you know, uh, some people will call it like a win-win-win. It's a win for ACB because we're able to, to build relationships and work with these companies. It's a win for the companies because they can design a product that is accessible and usable by uh, more potential paying customers, but also they avoid litigation. And then it's certainly a win for our members and uh, even people who are not ACB members out there who want to have a, a more enjoyable experience using these products. Yes. Well, this is that's really great. And now, Clark, we're going to come back and discuss another issue that is totally unrelated to Hulu. Um, this is going to be on a very, very different topic. 
And so we're going to be talking about a decision that is probably going to touch, again, many, many millions of people. So we'll be back in just a minute. Page three. Clark and I are now going to talk about the Domino's case. A few months back, there was an article that we read here, or posted here on Soundprints, about a case that uh, had gone through several uh, layers of court and were related to the issue of Domino's Pizza making their website accessible or not having to make it accessible. And so, Clark, I'm not going to try to to um, talk about that because I want you to to explain what has happened um, and the good news that we had yesterday uh, about where that case is now. Well, thank you, Carla. Uh, so over the summer, the the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, which covers the West Coast and Northwestern United States. Um, issued a unanimous ruling, three to zero, that Domino's would need to make their website accessible. Um, the plaintiff in this case was an ACB member from California, Guillermo Robles. Um, this has been three years in the making. You know, uh, Guillermo initially um, sued or took Domino's to court over the inaccessibility of their website. Basically, he wanted a pizza and he couldn't order it through their website. And, and Guillermo and his attorney argued that the ADA and Title III protections apply to digital places of public accommodation, not just physical entities. So much like Domino's has to comply with the ADA and their physical store locations, they need to do the same thing on their website. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Robles uh, lost the initial court case, but he did win on appeal with that unanimous decision, uh, and Domino's was not very happy about that, so they appealed to the Supreme Court. And we found out on Monday, October 7th, that the Supreme Court denied to hear Domino's appeal. So that means that in the Ninth Circuit, um, the unanimous three to zero decision in favor of Mr. Robles and in favor of fans of accessible websites everywhere, that that decision stands. And so, Clark, that then, because it was a decision of the Supreme Court not to hear it, therefore that's saying they agreed, basically they agreed with the circuit court, um, then that not, would, not sorry, quite, Carla, no, um, not quite, and that's, um, okay, that's a, a, a pretty big distinction, so if the Supreme Court had taken the case and then agreed with the Ninth Circuit, mm -hmm. then this would be the, the law of the land, okay, um, for the entire country, so the Supreme Court, uh, basically they said they're not going to rule on this case. But by not ruling on this case, the, uh, the Ninth Circuit decision stays in effect. Um, technically, that's a decision that is only in effect 
in the states covered by the Ninth Circuit, but California is a, a pretty big state with a pretty large economy, um, so we're pretty confident that companies out there aren't going to um, host multiple websites where they are accessible in, uh, you know, in California with a third of, you know, the country's population and um, economy and then have a different website for everywhere else. But this also just doesn't cover um, Domino's and restaurants. It, it covers all other um, commercial offerings by companies, whether that's uh, retail services or uh, streaming, anything that you would want, that a consumer would want to buy online, um, that's what this covers. This is then a major step that concerns web accessibility, um, would this be limited to the to basically business online, or would this also kind of move over into other areas online as well? Information or education, are those pretty distinct and separate from this? Those are distinct areas. Uh -huh. um, so Title I of the ADA deals with employment, um, Title II deals with government and education, and Title III is focused on uh, like commerce and places of public accommodation. I see, but um, quite honestly, <laughs> with, uh, with the, the Title III areas being so huge, um, you almost, I mean, it, it would be really, uh, it, it, it wouldn't be um, make a whole lot of sense not to have the other areas follow along. So, um, absolutely, yeah, yeah. This is really great news. I mean, I love shopping online, so <laughs> obviously this is good news for an online shopper. But it's just good news in general. There's, um, there have been other articles out there, other. Um, other people that have written articles that have talked about the proliferation of suits, lawsuits that have happened in the last couple of years over the accessibility or lack thereof of um, companies' websites. And while some of those have not been in California, it would seem to me that this decision should certainly get the notice of a lot of a lot of companies out there that um, maybe at this point in time are involved in some of these suits um, because, um, as you say, companies are, <laughs> they're not going to, you can't very well have a website that's for Florida and another website that's for California. The Internet is a pretty broad place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and thank you for bringing up um, the, the conversation about the, the widespread nature, <laughs> the growing number of websites uh, or uh, lawsuits claiming um, discrimination and lack of accessibility for websites. Right. Um, and there, there's a few things to um, unpack here. So there are some, some folks um, you know, some lawyers as well as some plaintiffs that'll team up. And this has been done for, for years in the, the physical space. Yes. You know, they'll, they'll target a bunch of gas stations or convenience stores in, a, in an area and 
basically just blanket them all with Title III demand letters, saying that their, you know, um, their wheelchair ramp isn't at the right ratio, or their, um, they don't have a curb cut, their doors are too narrow, and they're not looking for them to solve the problem. What they're looking for is a quick payout so that they go away. <laughs> and we've started to see that happen uh, in the website ac accessibility space as well, um, where some folks will, uh, for example, earlier this year, targeted a bunch of credit unions in California and Virginia, um, and this hit them all with demand letters saying that their websites are inaccessible. And again, they, they don't want to sit down with them at the table. They don't want to work to resolve the issue. They just want to be given a check and sent on their way. And that doesn't uh, benefit any of us, really. That doesn't fit, benefit anyone except for the folks bringing yes. the lawsuit. Right. Uh, so, but what happens? Then you start to see all these articles saying that the Americans with Disabilities Act is broken because all these lawsuits are happening. Um, and that's when ACB and our members have to step in and just ask folks to, to pump the brakes and have a conversation because at the heart of this, these entities still have inaccessible websites. Right. And that's why folks are able to target them in this manner. But by doing that, it makes it a lot more difficult for you know, Carla, for you, or for ACB, or even Mr. Robles in California to bring legitimate lawsuits or legitimate Title III demand letters to companies and work towards a resolution. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, this this is just great news. It's a, a big step, I think, uh, for the disability community, for us in particular. And um, I, I think we'll continue to see more really good things um, coming along in, in web accessibility in the future. I guess I see things as the cup the glass is half full instead of the glass is half empty. I mean, we can always sit around and say, oh, well, look at this. This is not accessible or that's not accessible. But when we look back 10 years or 20 years of whenever the Internet was just beginning, I mean, we have come a huge way. Yes, we have further to go, but... Um, but where we are today is, is just, it, it's an amazing place. The Internet is a, a wonderful place, and it's a wonderful thing for us. And um, I'm sure we'll keep on keeping on and um, looking for more accessibility in the future. And I, I just wanted, would like to make one more point. Um, a, lot of, a lot of members and folks listening, um, if they have a conversation on this issue, they may hear the, the perspective that, well, the, the ADA was passed 29 years ago in 1990. You know, uh, the Internet and um, online commerce and uh, websites were in their infancy then. Yes. You know, how, why does this apply? Why does the ADA apply to websites? And it's just it, it's important to note that the, the inventors of the Internet were talking about website accessibility in 1994 and the the first standards uh, for website accessibility were developed in 1995 and since then the World Wide Web Consortium 
has created international web accessibility, excuse me, um, website content accessibility guidelines, the WCAG guidelines, and those guidelines have been included in the uh, website accessibility 508 standards by the federal government that they have to use for their own websites as well as um, contractors for the federal government have to use. So it, it, we can't let it be acceptable for companies to say, well, I didn't know. You know, the ignorance is not an excuse when these standards have been around for decades. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Clark, taking time to talk with us, and hopefully there will be more great announcements coming up in the future. But just congratulations. We're so glad that we have two, these two great things that we could talk about today, and we're just looking forward to hearing more out of the Alexandria office. You all are doing great work. Well, absolutely, and thank you, and thanks the advocacy efforts of all your listeners and ACB members that made these two victories possible. Page four. This comes from Living with Diabetes from Everyday Health, posted Monday, September 30. What makes for a good type 2 diabetes diet? Foods to eat and avoid? best and worst diet plans, how to cut carbs, and everything else to know. There's no perfect diabetes diet, but knowing what to eat and your personal carb limit is key to lower blood sugar. In this article, learn the best diets for diabetes, foods to eat and avoid, the best sources of protein, fat and carbs, and so much more. This is from Everyday Health. The author is Jessica Magala, M-I-G-A-L-A, and it is medically reviewed by Kelly Kennedy, R.D. This was first updated on 2-23-2018. There's no one-size-fits-all diabetes diet per se, but understanding how to make smart food choices is essential for keeping blood sugar in a healthy range. An excellent diabetes diet consists of all the key food groups, including fruits, veggies, healthy fat, and protein. Living well with diabetes means taking your medication as prescribed, managing stress, exercising regularly, and, equally important, knowing what foods are good and bad for keeping your blood sugar levels in a healthy range. If you've just been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, the prospect of giving up the foods you love may seem daunting or even devastating, but you may be relieved to know that a good diet for type 2 diabetes isn't as complex or out of the ordinary as you might expect. Is there an ideal type 2 diabetes diet? What is a good diet for type 2 diabetes? In fact, a smart diabetes diet looks a lot like the healthy eating plan doctors recommend for everyone. It includes eating lots of fiber-rich fruits and vegetables, enjoying whole grain carbohydrates in moderation, fueling up on lean protein, and eating a moderate amount of healthy fats. What it boils down to is that there is no diabetic diet, says Aaron Polinsky-Wade, R.D., C.D.E., author of Two-Day Diabetes Diet and Belly Fat Diet for Dummies and based in Vernon, New Jersey. 
Quote, the guidelines are basically the same for healthy eating for everyone, with or without diabetes, she says. Still, eating when you have diabetes requires taking some steps that are specific to the disease. Though there isn't a one-size-fits-all eating plan, knowing the basics is key for maintaining a high quality of life, reducing the risk of complications, and potentially even reversing diabetes. Why is it important to eat well when managing type 2 diabetes, and what are the risks if you don't? Type 2 diabetes is characterized by a condition called insulin resistance, where the body can't effectively use the hormone insulin to ferry glucose, blood sugar, to cells and muscles for energy. This causes glucose to accumulate in your blood at higher than normal levels, which can put your health in danger. Picking the right amounts of the right foods can help lower blood sugar levels and keep them steady, reducing diabetes symptoms and helping lower the risk of health complications, such as nerve damage, vision problems, heart disease, kidney damage, and stroke. Eating well can also help you lose and maintain a healthy weight. In fact, Losing just 5 to 7% of your body weight may help you better control type 2 diabetes or prevent prediabetes from progressing into the full-blown form of the disease. Rather than trying to overhaul your lifestyle with quick fixes, create lasting habits by focusing on small, simple, and maintainable changes, Polinsky Wade says. Otherwise, you may feel overwhelmed and revert to your old unhealthy eating ways and regain weight you've lost. Being consistent with change, no matter how small, is key to long-term weight loss success, she adds. Here are four to get you started. Pack in more veggies. Add in one extra serving of non-starchy vegetables at dinner. Consider adding vegetables to a snack, too. Fit in more fruit. Research shows that eating berries, apples, and pears is associated with weight loss. Go figure. These are especially fiber-rich choices. Of course, all other fruits count too. Just be careful to factor them into your carbohydrate servings. Stay active. Ultimately, you should aim to be active 150 minutes per week. That's just 30 minutes, five days per week. But initially, start out by walking 15 minutes a few times per week and adding on time from there. Nibble on something in the morning. Eating breakfast is one habit of long-term weight losers. A plain yogurt with fruit, nuts and fruit, or scrambled eggs and whole grain toast are all diabetes-friendly breakfasts. People who are overweight or obese are at a greater risk of developing diabetes in the first place. Being overweight or obese is also linked with increased risk of conditions such as certain types of cancer, osteoarthritis, fatty liver disease, and aforementioned diabetes complications. 
Is it important to monitor caloric intake if you have diabetes? While it can be helpful, it's not absolutely necessary to track how many calories you're taking in daily. Quote, Although tracking calories can be beneficial when it comes to weight reduction, you can lose weight and still have a poor nutritional quality to your diet, Polinsky Wade points out. Therefore, if you do count calories, make sure you're also focused on healthy food choices. You can also track your food intake, she says, which will let you monitor portions as well as how certain foods and meal times impact blood glucose levels. The National Institutes of Health, NIH, recommends the following calorie guidelines for people who are managing diabetes. About 1,200 to 1,600 calories a day for small women who are physically active, small or medium-sized women interested in weight loss, or medium-sized women who are not physically active. About 1,600 to 2,000 calories a day for large women interested in weight loss, small men at a healthy weight, medium-sized men who aren't physically active, and medium-sized or large men interested in weight loss. About 2,000 to 2,400 calories a day for medium-sized or large men who are physically active, large men at a healthy weight, or a medium-sized or large women who are physically active. How cutting carbs can help you stabilize unbalanced blood sugar levels that result from diabetes. The best course of action is managing the amount of carbohydrates you eat. Quote, Although individual carbohydrate goals will vary based on age, activity level, medication, and individual insulin resistance levels, it's imperative to avoid having too many carbohydrates in one sitting, says Polinsky Wade. For reference, if you have prediabetes or type 2 diabetes and don't take medication, cap your carbs to no more than 60 grams per meal four carb servings. The best sources of carbohydrates for someone with diabetes are fiber-rich sources from whole foods, which can help improve glucose control. These include fruits, vegetables, fat-free or low-fat dairy, and whole grains. Limit sugar and refined grains like white bread and pasta. Page 5. The Sound Prince Calendar. On October 10, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have an in-person support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On October 11, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired will have an Arts and Crafts Project. This class will be from 10 until noon, Central Time, at the Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church, 1215 Sherm, S-C-H-E-R-M, Road, in Owensboro. For more information, call 270-684-4418 or 270-686-8689. On October 11th, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout will meet from 3.30 to 9 p.m. There will be education and technology from 3.30 to 5 Discussion time 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, and bingo from 7 until 
at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On October 12, the Greater Louisville Council of Blind will hold its monthly board meeting at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. This meeting is by conference call. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. October 13, Kentucky Council of the Blind Next Generation Chapter Meeting at 8 p.m. by phone. This is the regular statewide monthly chapter meeting for visually impaired Kentuckians 40 years old and under. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. On October 16, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its next telephone support group meeting. It'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and individuals statewide experiencing low vision are encouraged to ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. The number is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. On October 17, the KCB Scholarship and Technology Committee will have a meeting at 8 p.m. The number is 669-900-6833. 6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. October 18, GLCB will have another roundabout. Education and technology from 3.30 to 5, discussion 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, and music beginning at 7 p.m. Games will also be available at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On October 20, ACB families will have a business meeting and support group at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796096. On October 21, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its monthly board meeting at 8 p.m. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. On October 22, ACB Next Generation will have an Organizational Development Committee conference call at 8 p.m. The number is 669-900-6833. And the code is 3572-595-193. October 23 is the Bluegrass Council Peer Support Group. This meeting will be from noon until 2 p.m. at the BCB office in Lexington, 1093 South Broadway, RSVP, or get more information by calling 859-259-1834. On October 24, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its next in-person support group in Louisville, 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On October 25, Savvy will have an arts and crafts class from 10 to noon Central Time at the Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church, 1215 Sherm Road in Owensboro. For more information, call 
684-4418 or 270-686-8689. On October 25, GLCB will have another roundabout. There will be Education and Technology from 3.30 to 5, Tip Sheet from 5 to 5.30, Page Turners 5.30 to 6, Dinner 6 to 7, KCB Next Generation Activity, Games and Crafts, all from 7 until 9.30 at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On October 26, Halloween Mask Making. From 10.30 a.m. until 12.30 p.m., masks have been a part of many cultures throughout history. They are useful for hiding identities, but also for inciting fear or awe or other emotions. Sighted people tend to depend on the visual for their effects, but textures and shapes can convey emotions as well. APH Museum staff will guide participants of all ages and abilities as they make scary or friendly Halloween masks and headdresses using tactile materials. Free, but registration is required for ages 6 and up at the American Printing House Museum, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. Call 502-899-2213 for more information and to register. October 26, ACB Next Generation will have its Saturday night live hangout. 8 p.m. by phone. This is for ACB members and individuals 40 and under. And this is a nationwide call. For more information, call Amanda Salm at 502-750-1774. The phone number to join the call is 669-900-6833 and the code is 3572-595-193. On October 27, the Kentucky School for the Blind alumni will hold a board meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time by phone. Call 605 475 6006 and enter code 294444. October 28 is the next Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana membership call. This is at 7 p.m. Eastern Time by phone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. Also on October 28, Savvy, the Support Alliance, the Visually Impaired, We'll have a budget committee meeting at 8 p.m. Central Time on the phone number 669-900-6833, enter code 3572-595-193. Looking ahead to November, a few highlights. On November 3, ACB families will have a peer support group meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The number is 712-432-3900. And the code is 796096. November 7 will be the American Council of Blind Lions conference call meeting. This is a monthly meeting for blind lions from around the country. This is an excellent opportunity to share ideas about how to be involved in local clubs. At 9 p.m. Eastern Time, the number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. November 15 and 16, Kentucky Council of the Blind State Conference and Convention. KCB in the spotlight. Enjoy workshops, programs, exhibits, food, and friends 
at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Rooms available at the Ramada Inn North, 1041 Zorn Avenue in Louisville. Rates are $79 a night plus tax for up to four people in a room. KCB will provide transportation between the Ramada and United Crescent Hill Ministries using Uber and Lyft. For hotel reservations, call 502-897-5101 and be sure to tell them that you are with the Kentucky Council of the Blind when you call in order to obtain our discounted rate. On November 16, Radio Days from 1 to 3 p.m., we celebrate 100 years of radio broadcasting by taking you back to a time before computers, before television, when families would gather around the radio to listen to soap operas, spine-chilling dramas, gripping mysteries, and gut-splitting comedies. The first radio broadcast occurred in 1919. 100 years later, we bring you our own live radio broadcast with vocals by talking book narrators from the APH Sound Studio and sound effects by students at the Kentucky School for the Blind. Note, this activity will also be part of the KCB convention, so come to the convention and plan to attend the play as well. On November 17, ACB families will have its next business meeting as well as drawing for the winners in its membership drive at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796096. November 23 will be a Thanksgiving open house at the APH Museum from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Looking for something uniquely Louisville to show friends and relatives visiting for Thanksgiving? Bring them to APH's one-of-a-kind museum. Visitors can write their names in Braille, see a book from Helen Keller's Bible, learn about guide dogs, play games, and read books designed for children who are blind, and enjoy many other activities in the award-winning museum. The museum also has on display the first book written by Louis Braille in which he describes his new method for writing with dots. Holiday goodies and spiced cider will be served. Register by calling 502-899-2213. And in December, on December 7, the Christmas with the Council party will be from 4.30 until 9 p.m. at United Crescent Home Ministries, sponsored by the Tri-State Library Users, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana, KCB Next Generation, and the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind. More details coming soon. Call 502-895-4598. December 8th, the 8th Annual ACB Radio Holiday Auction will be coming to you from 6 p.m. until all items are sold. Listen on ACB Radio, ACB Link, the Alexa Skill apps for ACB Radio, or on the phone at 605-475-8130. More details coming soon. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.